Hey, it's Tony and Jenny Bruski from Real Ghost Stories Online. You know, we love doing this show for you every single week, but doing the show is not free. So if you enjoy the show, we ask maybe uh, consider helping us out a bit and supporting it. You can do that by becoming an EPP at realghoststoriesonline.com. EPP means extra podcast person. You get an extra podcast for your support of the show. Every single week, we send you a brand new one. And you get access to our past archive of EPP episodes as well. Right now, that's more than 15 bonus episodes along with the weekly episode that you'll be getting every single week for only five bucks a month. If you like the show, help keep us on the air. And become an EPP at realghoststoriesonline.com today. And thank you. Welcome to Real Ghost Stories Online. Call in your real ghost story now at 855-853-4802 or write in at realghoststoriesonline.com. You are about to enter the world of the unknown and quite possibly the undead. This is Real Ghost Stories Online. Today, a deceased father insists on letting his family know that he is still in charge of the home. Also, one listener describes an overwhelming feeling of fear she felt at a local coffee shop and a lonely little boy finds someone to talk to. But could this person be responsible for all the strange happenings in the family's home? Those stories, your calls and more today on Real Ghost Stories Online. Tony and Jenny Bruski joining you once again. Hello. Hello. Are you ready for ghost story time? I'm always ready for ghost story time. Let a little fire here in the office. Or not. And uh, have some ghost stories. <laughs> we kind of fun to have an indoor campfire pit. What could possibly go wrong there besides carbon monoxide? A desktop s'more maker. That would be would great. Would that also cause a lot of carbon monoxide when you're have, having open flames within your home without proper ventilation? It depends on how big the flame is because you can burn a candle and be just fine. So if the desktop s'more maker was really no more than a candle, uh-huh. it would be okay. And probably didn't run on gas. And I've done that before. I have actually roasted marshmallows over a candle one time. No, you can do that. Just start the marshmallow on fire. Uh Uh-huh. Then it works out really well. Yeah. And it also tastes like the candle. So if you have like lavender uh, tulip, you have lavender tulip flavored s'mores. It's weird. It does tend to take on a little bit of the essence of the candle. kind of gross. It's kind of gross. It's not gross. All the things that you talk about and me making a s'more over a candle is what's gross. You know what's more gross? When you're making a s'more over like um, burning uh, like uh, you got <laughs> papers. Yeah. You got No, nothing. I do. No, burning papers is what I'm trying to like say because of all the trash that I burn. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, like all the credit card receipts or, or not receipts, but the offers and things of that nature. Uh-huh. If you're burning that when it's fresh and it's still all the inks burning off of it, that's gross. You got to like get that, use it as kindling to get the wood going. And then once the wood's going, then you're okay. But if you're just burning it over print ink, essentially, that takes on the nice, uh, delicious scent of Visa offers. Oh, okay. It's good it, to know. It does. It does. <laughs> Everyone knows. Uh, 855-853-4802 is a phone number to call in to Real Ghost Stories Online. Share your real ghost story with us. If you like the show, please tell a friend about it verbally, or you can do it virtually. Share a link on uh, Facebook, Twitter, maybe pin our show up on Pinterest, uh, Reddit, whatever you use social media-wise. Please spread the word about Real Ghost Stories Online. That helps our show grow, and we do greatly appreciate it. Let's uh, kick off the show today with a letter that we sent in to us from Anonymous. Hello, Tony and Jenny. I've been a listener since October and have to say that I love the show and listen daily. My story involves Jenny's favorite, the Ouija board. In the late 1970s, when I was around 10 years old, my family moved into a rental home. It was newer for that time. I guess maybe a 10-year-old home, and we lived there for the first few months without incidents prior to the story. I'm about to tell you. One day, out of the blue, my dad brought home a Ouija board. Just about new in the box. I think he may have acquired it from a friend or purchased it from a thrift store. My dad liked shopping thrift stores, so I assume that is where he got it. Anyway, I'm not sure why he brought this home, but I think he most likely thought it was a fun, spooky game, and it wasn't truly harmful. 
Also, my mother was a spiritual hippie type person, and he probably thought it would be entertaining to her and us kids just for fun. Anyway, my mom, my brothers, and I started playing with it right away that evening, just asking questions. We asked if there was a spirit with us, what his age was, its name, and how they died. The spirit said his name was Jimmy. He was seven years old, and he had died in a car accident. At this point, my mom and I got a little creeped out and accused my brothers of moving the board, but we swore they were not. We quit playing and went to watch TV with my sisters as the boys kept playing at the kitchen table. My father worked nights, so he was not involved in this at all. After this, my brothers played with a Ouija board from time to time, and no one really thought too much of it. They'd be playing it in the basement while I roller skated or played Barbies or whatever little girls do at that age. The whole time they played, they were still claiming to talk with Jimmy. Just silly questions and back-and-forth boy stuff. My parents didn't think much of it, and I think they just assumed the boys were making up stories about talking with a ghost. Kid stuff, really. The home had a long, straight hallway with three bedrooms and a bath. My two brothers, Jess and Michael, age 11 and 9, shared the first room. My little sister, Mandy, age 5, and I shared that last room on the end room. And across from our room was our parents' room. This might matter to you in a little later as I tell the story. I do not remember how long it was before strange things started happening in the home, maybe a month or a few weeks, but it started with my older brother, Jesse, having major night terrors almost every night of the week. I remember the first time it happened. I woke up to hearing him screaming at the top of his lungs, No, no, leave me alone! I looked into his room, and he was crazed and crying. His eyes were wide and terrified. My mom was trying to calm him down as he was throwing pillows and blankets everywhere, yelling, No, go away, leave me alone. My mom told me to go to my room, that he was only dreaming and not to worry. She eventually got him calmed down enough to go back to sleep. Like I said, this would happen almost nightly, and my mom said he was just stressed and having night terrors. It was common for boys his age, so she felt he'd grow out of it. My mom was a very open person and always believed in talking about things, regardless of how strange, and because of this, our family has a strong and close bond. She believed that there was life after death and in the paranormal. She often meditated, dabbled in astro travel, so the next morning she brought up the night terror incident at our breakfast table, asking my brother what happened the night before. He said that he woke to find his room was full of people. He couldn't make out their faces, but shapes of people, men and women, different sizes and shapes. He explained that there were so many of them in the room that there wasn't anywhere to move. They were all looking at him and facing towards his bed while my younger brother, Michael, lay sleeping across the room. He said he felt like he couldn't move from the bed for a long time until he got so frightened and finally found the strength to scream and jump up on his bed to throw pillows at them. My older brother, Jesse, did not play with the Ouija board after this started happening, but my younger brother, Michael, continued to talk to Jimmy on the Ouija almost daily. He played with it and claimed to be talking with him, and Jimmy was his friend. Soon, other things started happening in the house. Each night, you'd hear footsteps walk up and down the hall as we slept. We kids kept our doors open so you'd hear the steps slowly walking. Stop at my brother's room, walk to my room, step at the door, turn around, and walk down the hall again, over and over. I'd just hide under the covers and pray until I fell asleep. After a few weeks of the footsteps, I told my mom about hearing them, and she said, That's it. We're done with the board. She found that board and took it out to the trash can. The next day, she found my Michael playing with it again. Where did you get that? She angrily said to him. I want to talk with Jimmy, my brother said. He's a nice ghost and won't hurt anybody. My mom explained to him that she didn't want Jimmy in the house and that the board had to go away from the house to keep him out. She snapped the board into half and took it to the trash. A few days later, I woke up in the middle of the night with an extremely loud banging sound coming from the corner of my room. The sound was like a metal bat hitting a metal light pole in the corner in the middle of the wall where my bed was. An incredibly loud tang, tang, tang over and over. My little sister heard the noise and was terrified. I ran to her bed, hugged her as the noise continued. We both ran across the hall to our parents' room and woke them up, crying and scared. By then the noise had stopped. My dad said it was probably a water heater or a pipe or something. We'd look at it in the morning. You have to understand that our room was at the back of the house. The noise was coming from a corner of the room that was an outside wall. 
I tried to tell myself as I went back to sleep in my sister's bed with her that it was a water pipe like my dad had said, but I knew that it was there and there was no way it could have been. The next morning, I went downstairs and followed all the pipes through the basement to see if one of them ran to that area of the house and there were none. I went outside in the backyard to look to see if a gutter was loose and if there was anything to make that noise in the area. There was nothing. There was no storm or wind that night either. There was no way it was the water heater as the noise was specifically in the corner wall. The water heater is in the basement and nowhere in that area. Shortly after this, my brothers decided to move their bedroom to the partially finished basement. My sister took their room and I was able to have my own room. The footsteps were still there nightly. I think we had just gotten used to them, really. I learned to sleep with covers over my head and still do to this day. Guess I figured if I couldn't see it, it's not there. One day I went downstairs and found my younger brother Michael alone down there with a homemade Ouija board he had made. I told him that he wasn't supposed to play with it anymore and that Mom was going to be mad if she found out. He said that he just wanted to talk to Jimmy, and Jimmy told him that... He was not making the noises and strange things happening in our house. He said, it doesn't matter anyway, Jimmy's gone. And he said he had to go away, but I'm just trying to call him back. I was concerned about this as it seemed he was totally obsessed with Jimmy and could not quit trying to talk to him with the board. I told my mom and she made him throw away the homemade board and swear he would never use it again. Shortly after, both of these boys claimed to see red eyes glowing in the basement at night, almost every night. Before they went to bed. They said they would be in the far corner of the basement on the wall when they shut off the light. They would turn on the light to see what was there and the eyes would be gone. As soon as the lights were off again, they'd appear, sometimes move around. They'd see them in the basement area outside their room and eventually started seeing them in their closet almost nightly. The closet did not have a door and they would sleep with the bedroom door open so they could see the entire basement from their room. Both of them said they would just cover their heads and pray themselves to sleep. One night, both of my brothers woke my mom in the middle of the night. Michael was fanatic and scared. There was so much commotion it woke me up too. I found both brothers and my mom around the kitchen table. My mom was trying to calm down my little brother as he told his story of being next to him on the wall in the basement. When he woke in the middle of the night, he said that the red eyes turned into a monster like a werewolf that stood beside his bed just glaring at him. He screamed and woke up my older brother who then turned on the light and the monster went away. Michael was so hysterical that Jesse couldn't calm him down so they went upstairs to get mom. My mom finally calmed him down enough to ask him a hundred questions about what happened. She asked him if it was a dream and he swore up and down that it was he wasn't dreaming. He said he even laid there in the bed looking at the monster with his eyes open. And he was not dreaming. Being that the idea of a werewolf seemed far-fetched, my mom made him draw exactly what he saw on a piece of paper. He drew a large hair person with red eyes, long claws, and fangs. Looked like a werewolf. Needless to say, the boys moved back to their room upstairs and we rarely went to the basement anymore. When you did go down there, you could feel a heavy presence, like someone was watching you. The footsteps continued nightly, and my older brother Jesse continued to have night terrors about once a week, still claiming the room was full of people. Occasionally, we would hear unknown noises in the basement, like bangs and sometimes a pound on the floor. Michael quit playing with the Ouija board after my mom explained to him that Jimmy was lying and that he he was not a little boy but quite possibly a demon. Of course, he was completely freaked out by the werewolf, although we didn't see it again. After a month or so, he moved from that house to my parents, got a divorce. I forgot to mention that during the year or so that we lived there, they started fighting like crazy, which ended in divorce. To this day, all of us still remember the experiences and the story to this day. We're in our 40s. It's not changed. Needless to say, none of us will even think about going near a Ouija board again. And when anyone brings it up, we completely discourage them to use one by telling our story. That's my story. I hope it reads well. I have another one to write into you at a later date that involves a shadow person and bodiless voices. I'll send it at a later date. Thanks so much for your show. I love it every single day. 
Okay, I have a question in this. Maybe something you covered before I came on the show. Mm -hmm. Demons. Do they look similar to each other? They're soft and cuddly. No, I just mean, do they kind of pick what they look like or do they all kind of resemble each other? Any shape or form they want. Okay, because I was wondering about the werewolf, if that was something that certain demons look a certain way. No, I think if that's the what it wants to look like, that's what it's going to look like. I okay. think it kind of feeds off of whatever the uh, victim's uh, likely to be fearful of. Okay. If that's its intent, is to scare and not seduce, essentially, um, or trick into trusting it. If its goal is to scare, uh, it's probably going to try and take whatever form its nose is going to likely scare. So a child, hey, werewolf. Okay. You know, and it probably knows. It's not taking a wild guess either. I don't think it's like, oh, most kids are scared of wool werewolves. I'm going to do a werewolf. I think it knows. Okay. You know, from within what that specific child is going to be fearful of and then takes on that form. Okay. Or if it's trying to be friendly and get a buddy, it's going to take on Jimmy. Right. And that's why I really, my gut was telling me this is probably a demon, but Mm -hmm. I wasn't sure if they projected themselves in a generic form or or how they did that. It's kind of whatever it wants to be. Okay. Yeah. No specific one size fits all demon. So you've told us the story about the knocking behind your bed when you were a kid. Mm Mm-hmm. I had a knocking in my house when I was a kid, but I knew it was the, I think it was the heater, because it was like after the heat or the air kicked on, it would bang three times, every time. And the first few times, it really freaked me out. Yeah. And then I asked my parents, so what is that? Because it would even happen, you know, it happened all times of the day. Mm-hmm. And then finally, we figured it out. But it made me think of that and them trying to figure out what that noise was before they freaked out too. Demons. No, it wasn't demons. It was no. just a noisy pipe. Water heater. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I, I don't know what mine ever was. It only happened one time, though, too. So. And that's scary. It was just like a one-time thing. I'm happy it was only a one-time thing. But I, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm wondering if it stood out more because it was only a one-time thing, if it would have happened more frequently and nothing happened out of it. I don't know how much I'd remember it. Sure. You know, because like, uh, the house creaked and made these knocking noises. Eh, that's it. Nothing happened. But if it manifested into something, sure, then I'd remember it more. There's a lot of crap in my parents' attic, too. Yeah. There's a lot of weird things up there that were, you know, uh, grandparents or passed down, you know, all sorts of things that are in storage up there. Nothing I can, like, put my finger on and say, oh, this is haunted. But there's some pretty old items that sit in that attic, which was the wall where that knocking was coming from. Okay. Because if you think logistically about it, um, it would have been coming essentially from the attic area. Okay. Directly behind the wall. But it only happened one time. So yep. it makes you really kind of wonder. It's it probably, probably a mouse. Yeah, that or something got up there, a raccoon, I don't know. Raken? <laughs> there's a lot of rakins there. Yeah. I mean, I'm not even kidding. There's there's like hundreds. And there's been nights where you could, because they're out in the country a little bit, and that big wood's right behind them. You could go out on some nights with a flashlight, and you'd hear them all screaming in the trees. Mm-hmm. And then you could shine your flashlight up there and just see all these eyes looking back at you. Well, there was that one. I was sitting on the couch with your parents, and it came right up to the sliding door, and I about crawled up in your mom's lap because I'd never seen a raccoon like that. I wasn't there when that happened. No. You were in the other room. You were feeding Harper a bottle, and it was crazy. It just came right up to the slider and looked in, then took off. I'd never seen them get that close. It was huge. They're getting really comfortable. It was it was scary to me. Or they're all rabid, one of the two. <laughs> I don't know. We had a lot of rabid ones that were running around there when Ew. I was a kid. My dad, I remember him shooting several of them. Yeah. There was, they were like, they're kind of like zombie raccoons at that point um, because they're just, they kind of walk hobbled. It's like the walking dead with raccoons. Uh-huh. And, and they're not like in packs of, 
<laughs> like the walking dead. It's like they're lone raccoons, essentially. Um, I remember one up by the road that was kind of hobbly walking around very slowly in circles in our front yard. <laughs> My dad went there with a shotgun and took care of that one. Um, or no, that was a shovel one. I'm sorry that, that he took care of with a shovel. Um, and that he, you're doing the humane thing when you have a rabid raccoon. I mean, it's either going to bite somebody or other animals and infect them, or you take it out. Uh-huh. You're not going to nurse a rabid raccoon back to health. So I'm sorry, any animal lovers. I like the raccoons. I'm not going to go shoot healthy raccoons. But if you have rabid ones and you have children and it's a neighborhood, you get rid of the rabid raccoon. The other one was, and we're down by the creek, and it was uh, it was down, I don't know if it was, tr- it was really hot. I don't know if it was trying to get water. Or, because I, I thought they were, like, afraid of water. There's, like, a fear of water or something when you're a rabbit. It's either, I'm, it's one or the other. It's either you want water or you have a fear of it. It's a fear of water. Okay. Uh, but it was down there. Mm-hmm. Um, it was near the creek. It wasn't in the water. It was just kind of meandering around the rocks. Again, looked like a zombie raccoon. He shot that one. Okay. And then it got up again because he didn't get it in the head. Okay. It's like the you can it's like the walking you can shoot them in the, all over the body. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> You're looking at me like, should I believe this? Part? I never truly <laughs> know. I? Now the raccoon stories are true. You, it will die no matter you know you shoot it in the body too. You don't have to get that. It's not a, it's not like a, a okay. walker. So there you go. Now you've been educated on uh, the raccoon life around my parents' house. <laughs> Thank you for that. Aren't you lucky? 855-853-4802. Here's the phone number to call into Real Ghost Stories Online to share your real ghost story with us. Let's uh, go to a caller. Hi. Hi, Tony. This is Robert again from Utah um, with part two of my stories from the the depot. Um, Okay, and this, this one happened in probably about 2006, maybe 2007. And again, I got to give you a little bit of background, okay? The, the D-mill facility that was going to process and destroy the chemicals was not up and running yet. And so uh, on the government side of things like that, even the, the, the operations people, the, the government people who handled it, checked and whatever on the, the chemicals, they, they were working Monday through Thursday. And and that was it. I mean, it's like, it was ridiculous. If something, if you needed something or whatever over the weekend, yeah, forget about it until Monday, you know. Uh, and pretty much the only ones on the government side who were there over the weekends were us in security. And then the, the D-mill plant, it was running pretty much 24 hours a day because they had to get it up and going and manufacture things, whatever. Well, then um, out on the, the far, far western end of the depot was a group of I think about nine warehouses which because of asbestos and whatever they were just kind of letting fall apart with the exception of two of them that the D-mill facility was using to store stuff pretty much anything that they needed it it was out there and and, uh, but then when they came out even on the weekends when they came out and they had to go get something, they, they'd let our desk know um, that they were going out there so that so that they wouldn't be harassed by security, you know. I mean, we're, we're checking out that if we see a vehicle that, that's out there that we don't know about, test that's a suspicious vehicle and we're going to stop them and check it out. And uh, they drove these little Chevy Love pickups. Okay, so, and I think I I had a time slip. I'm not really, really sure. But anyhow, I'm out there one weekend, and oh, and I'd worked a double. I worked from graveyards to day shift, and which this doesn't factor in there being tired and whatever, um, because just the way it was on the weekends, especially I I had a little nap somewhere. <laughs> so, but um, you know, I'm working this weekend, and it was like towards the afternoon. Well, it was towards 2.30, but and I'm out there, and the patrol that I had had, you checked the perimeter. I was the runner. Basically, you checked on the gates to make sure they were okay. Anybody needed anything, you took it here and there, whatever. But in the meantime, um, you, we were responsible for checking the perimeter twice a shift, 
once somewhere at the beginning and then somewhere at the end. And there was nothing that says that you couldn't like just drive around there in the meantime. Excuse me. So it's about 2.30 and I go and I check the perimeter because I'm going to do that. And then, you know, about about the time I get done, because the depot was like 25 miles all the way around from one end to the other. So um, I figure by the time I'm done, it's going to be close to time to turn in and go home, right? So I get out there and the, the perimeter was all paved except for one part around those where those warehouses were. And there was another group of other different warehouses that same thing they were just being allowed to fall apart and uh but so when i go around there and i'm around on the dirt road and then i come off back and i meet the road well then i see there's a truck out there um going down this road that i hadn't seen before and i don't know where it had come from whatever and it, it was like it was you know one of those mechanics trucks they throw all their tools and all this stuff in which the D-mill facility didn't have any of those. The government side, they were shut down for the weekend, so there's no way anybody would have been out and we would have known if they'd had been, because for them, it would have been overtime. So I, I radio my desk sergeant and ask him if anybody's authorized to be out there. And they tell us, no, they haven't had word that there's anybody in this area. So of course, you know, I, I give chase. I light up the reds and blues. Didn't put on the siren, but I light up the reds and blues, and I'm going. And then this area where it was, there was probably about a three-mile stretch before you reached any roads or whatever to, to turn off on. Um, so I start giving chase, and this truck looks a little older. It's It doesn't look like a modern truck. It, it has it's more squared and boxy and whatever like like something from the 70s or the 80s and i see there are two occupants in it so i go along and like i said i've lit up the reds and blues and i'm chasing them and the funny thing is as i'm chasing them i seem to it's like the, the road elongated i seem to get nowhere and uh so when I'm chasing and I'm chasing. Oh, and in the meantime, um, when I called for the desk, the the sergeant who was there and the lieutenant came out and they're on this this side road that's like I said about three miles up, and they're they're sitting there and they're they're going to form a wedge to stop this person when they get there. So but I'm chasing and I'm chasing. The reds and blues are on. They don't seem to be speeding. At one point. I found myself going like 80 miles an hour, which, you know, it, the, the road, we were not authorized to do that fast there, but they didn't seem to be speeding. I was. So I get nowhere and I get nowhere. And until I, we, we seem to be staying about, I don't know, about a, about a quarter mile from each other. And like with them not speeding and me going fast, I should have caught up to them in no time. But, and, and so finally, they come to that corner. And this place had, like I said before, tumbleweed, but also these big bushes that, that just grew everywhere. And uh, so they go, and they turn the corner, this truck turns the corner. That's when I finally start catching up. I start making some ground. And I go, and I turn, and pretty soon I meet the sergeant and the, the lieutenant there. And they were parked not too far from that. Enough to where like the person could have stopped or whatever, you know, not slammed on the brakes. But um, but I meet them and I say, hey, where's this truck? They said, well, what truck? It never, we never saw one. Then, you know, and I'm telling them, well, I saw this truck turn the corner and I was chasing it and I start describing whatever and they said, well, Nobody turned. We didn't even, we didn't see a vehicle. We didn't see anything. So, uh, and then later, I was talking to the lieutenant, and he he tells me he says, he says, you know, he says that there are some weird things that happen out here 
sometimes. He said when he first started, he was working graveyard shift, and <clears throat> he saw out there in the in the the storage area where the where the bunkers were. We call them igloos. But he says in one of those rows, and there were there were no there were, there were no civilian vehicles authorized to be out there uh, until way much later. But uh, but he says that that he sees a little red car with four people in it and he gives chase and it went down a little ride and up and he said it just disappeared and then he says he says yeah it's got to be one of those things so i don't know if i saw someone from like the past or something but i mean that, that truck was there and like i said i was hauling ass i was going to catch them and they just disappeared. We should have been able to cut them off. And weren't. Alright, thanks. Bye. I like his stories from the haunted old munitions depot in Oregon. Yeah. And I just I can't I can't wrap my mind around seeing a ghost car and chasing it and then <laughs> the look or the feeling he got when he pulled up and he saw his commanding officer there and it's not there, there's no truck there's nothing he wasn't chasing anything that's there I like it where he said it's got to be one of those things yeah yeah what things does he mean that's not comforting when they're like oh yeah well this kind of happens on a regular basis yeah that's really <laughs> is that a place that you'd want to visit to, to camp out at for a little while to see if you see anything? It sounds like a fairly active place. I don't think you can. No, I'm, I'm not saying you can. I'm just saying in theory. If you In theory? Yeah. Because, I mean, the, the, the things don't ever seem to be all that, you know, intrusive or evil or anything like that. They just are kind of there. It would be like a place to catch things without necessarily having to go out, you know, and actively trying to conjure them up. But here's the thing, though. What they see typically is something that... The only thing that's significant is it's out of place. Mm -hmm. Or it's not authorized to be there. It's not like, hey, look, it's a turn-of-the-century car, you know? It's almost like it's residual. Yeah, it's just kind of something that you would probably notice if it were anywhere other than a restricted area. Sure. So it I think would be kind of uneventful in a way because it'd be like, yeah, there's a car. You so you'd say you'd like have to be used to knowing what's there. Yeah. To understand if it's if it's not supposed to be there. Right. Yeah. Right. Because, I mean, if you just saw this, like, in a neighborhood or something, you wouldn't even give a second thought about it. Yeah. You just be like, eh, okay. Yeah. I get you. Great stories. Love to hear more from him. Uh, the phone number is 855-853-4802 to call in your real ghost story to us here at Real Ghost Stories Online. If you want more ghost stories, well, that's why we got the EPP program. Right now, when you subscribe, you get uh, 20 bonus episodes sent directly to you. Right after you subscribe, you'll get that email approximately. Sometimes it's instant. Sometimes it's about an hour after. It's, it's pretty much however quickly your email system will process that email getting to you. Um, but it's as instant as it can get with an email. So you sign up, you get that email, uh, and uh, then you get access to all those bonus episodes. Uh, and then, of course, you get uh, the new emails every single week. We put a brand new episode out, uh, and it's exclusively for our EPPs. Five bucks a month is all it costs, and you guys are what keeps our show afloat and alive. So if you like the show, consider being an EPP. That's what keeps us going, and it allows us to give you a bigger and better show with more and more cool stuff in it and uh, extras. So uh, please do support and sign up at realghoststoriesonline.com. Carla writes in, My husband and I went to a coffee shop with friends about 10 years ago that we had never been to before. Upon going in, the place seemed to give me an uneasy, heavy feeling. I had a hard time staying in the shop. I can't explain the feeling other than to say that I was very uncomfortable being there. People were saying strange things like, 
mocha latte, frappuccino, grande. Stick and to I the could, story. <laughs> that's how I feel going into a lot of coffee shops because I don't know how to order and I always feel uncomfortable in them. Except for the one at Target. I'm okay there. The one at Target is I'm less o- threatening? Well, because the produce is right there. I'm like, oh, look, apples, oranges. <laughs> I just feel intimidated ordering at a coffee shop. What is intimidating about coffee? I can't pronounce a lot of the items on their menu. <laughs> That's why I feel really stupid. Oh. I, I do. I just feel dumb. I Because I, I, I'm not... I'm, I'm pretty basic with what I like. So... And then I like second kind of have to describe like I want something kind of caramely with cream and kind of make it low fat. Uh, I know there's something up on that menu board that resembles that. I don't know where the hell it is, and I probably don't know how to pronounce it either. So can you just make me something that resembles that? That's how I am. Yeah. <laughs> and I want it hot or cold or you know it's just I, I just I I feel uncomfortable. But this person feels uncomfortable for probably completely different reasons. I think so. Okay, continuing on. I've had this feeling a handful of times in my life, but it's been rare with no explanation. The very first time I had this feeling in my life was while in grade school, which was a Catholic school, and we went to church once a week. A few times we'd be required to climb a narrow set of stairs to a choir loft. I always had an uneasy feeling every time I was made to climb those stairs, but assumed it was just from how narrow the stairs were. The air seemed to be thin, making it hard to breathe. Anyway, back to my story. After being at the coffee shop for a bit, I was able to get into a conversation with the people we were with at the coffee shop. But an hour after getting there, I needed to excuse myself to use a restroom, which was towards the back of the shop. There was a long hallway leading back to the restroom, and after turning the corner to start down the hallway, I got goosebumps and a weird feeling along with the happy feeling. The feeling became more intense the closer I got to the ladies' room, and I was only able to force myself to go about halfway down the hall before deciding I couldn't go any closer. I didn't see anything or hear anything, but just had the bizarre feeling that I couldn't explain. I'm not sure what was giving me that feeling, but I had to turn around and go back to our table to excuse myself and walk next door to use the restroom there. Thanks for reading my story. Thanks uh, uh, for your show. You and Jenny Rock, I enjoy listening to other stories and what your opinions are about their experiences. I will be joining as an EPP soon, and we'll be writing again with another story. Great. We'd love to hear it, and thank you for becoming an EPP soon. Okay, what stands out to me about that story is that she was so uncomfortable that she went to the neighboring store to use the bathroom. It was that overwhelming that she didn't just fight through it to go to the bathroom because she went out into a different place to use it. You know where I feel most uncomfortable in most place, most restaurants, is the bathroom. Why? I don't know, because a lot of them are just probably not, they're kind of not kept up. It's always really disappointing when you're in a, a semi-clean restaurant or coffee shop or something, and it looks nice, and the food's good, and then you get to the bathroom, you're like, holy shit. Uh-huh. It's disturbing. If it's not super cleanly, because that's, I mean... They still let you see that part of the building. What's going on in the kitchen then? Then I get more disturbed. Okay. Because then I, then I go back out, and then they bring the food out. I'm like, okay, what's going on in the kitchen? If they're, if they're going as far as letting the bathroom go to that deteriorated state, what's going on in the other part that we're not seeing? Okay, that's two or three more thoughts than I probably ever have in a restaurant. <laughs> I'm overanalyzing the restaurants. That's okay. Much. I'll let you worry about the restaurants. But, uh, I don't know, and sometimes they're just kind of, especially in older buildings, I, I, I kind of dig it and I kind of get creeped out at the same time, especially if you're at like a downtown building in an older downtown, uh-huh. whether you're in a, whatever type of store, name the store, something that's open in an older downtown building. And like, can I use the restroom? A lot of times it's in a downstairs uh-huh. It's like, oh, we'll just use that stairwell. It's usually a narrow stairwell that goes to kind of a weird basement. And it's not the business's fault. It's just what exists. That's the restroom. And you kind of get down to this place that was probably built 100 years ago. And it's it's creepy. It's creepy cool. But sometimes, you know, you don't really want creepy cool when you're trying to use the facilities. Are you a shy peer? Is that what you're sometimes, saying? Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes okay. I'm afraid that maybe a, I don't like looking in the mirrors at those places there was a restroom at the radio station and this is a radio station that was haunted 
in back in my hometown in Fond du Lac. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, and the stairwell that goes down to the underground railroad area, there's a, a bathroom right in that back, uh, right before you get to the doorway. No one would ever use that bathroom. Okay. Now, I never had anything happen to me in there, but I've had so many people that say they would go in there and they would hear weird noises and knockings um, that I've heard so many people say the toilet would flush by itself. They'd hear the sink turning on by itself. And I take it this is not one of those fancy toilets that no. senses the shadow moving. This is just your typical run of the mill. And it was okay. just it was just a little bathroom. I mean, it was like redone. It was fairly uh-huh. new looking. It was probably updated in like 1994. Um, but it was right there. And literally, it did sit above the tunnel. Okay. If you were to dig underneath that bathroom, you would hit the tunnel. Okay. Um, so, I don't know. I mean, another creepy bathroom story. Ba- I don't know. I just have weird things with bathrooms. Everything has to be just right for you to be able to use it. Yeah, I would say so. It was difficult in that one, because I, I had heard the stories, and I think it was more psychological than anything else, but... Yeah, <laughs> yeah it was a creepy bathroom. Okay. We should do a whole episode on creepy bathroom stories. We could probably do that with as many, you know, stories of the ghost in the bathroom because of the mm-hmm. energy conduit there. Yeah. I think we have had an episode called Haunted Bathroom before, but it wasn't just like all focusing on like public bathroom bathrooms, just weird bathrooms you've gone into and stories of them. There you go. You can make a coffee table book about that, too. That's what everybody wants. <laughs> Put it right out. Look at this. Oh. Ah, the one in the old uh, Greyhound uh, depot there. Ew. <laughs> Those are creepy, too. 855-853-4802 is her phone number here at Real Ghost Stories Online to share your real ghost story with us. Shell writes in, hi, Tony and Jenny, you two are awesome for what you do and what you give to the rest of us. I've written three stories of unexplainable events from my life, but I should point out that these days I'm very much a skeptic when it comes to ghost stories. That's not to say I don't cate- uh, categorically disbelieve every story. I just like to rule out any logical explanation before I put any stock into a story. That being said, a lot of what could have been considered as paranormal for me growing up was quite easily explained as very old house that wasn't always up to code. I'm not sure uh, when the last time my grandparents' house was rewired, but I'm sure that underground wiring is the cause of a lot of the oddness. Not all, but a good bit of it. Now to the real reason for this email. You've expressed an interest in doppelganger stories. I've never experienced one of those, but I may have had someone visit me in the form of someone so as not to scare the hell out of me. It was around 1998 or 99. My son was a little over a year, and my husband at the time worked third shift. We lived in a tiny one-bedroom house. Entering the living room from outside the sofa and doorway to the bedroom were on the facing wall, and the doorway being to the left of the sofa. To the right was the doorway to a very short hall that led to the kitchen to the left. The bathroom was at the right end. Directly across from the living room doorway was the door to one creepy-as-hell basement. More on that at a later time. From the first movement I had gotten cable, I immersed myself in TV shows that revolved around the paranormal and supernatural. This night was no different. It was around 8 in the evening and my son was down for the night. My husband had another hour to go before I had to wake him up for his shift. From where I was sitting on the couch, I could perfectly see the bedroom doorway from the periphery of my right eye as I looked at the TV directly across the room from me. Watching the show about ghosts, I became increasingly uneasy, the hair on the back of my neck standing on end. It was a feeling of being watched. I'm a recovering Roman Catholic and attended a Catholic school as a child, so I know full well what it's like to be stared at. In fact, growing up in the school, I developed a severe dislike of being stared at. Anyway, without moving my eyes from the TV, I refocused my attention to my right side. From the corner of my eye, I could clearly see the right half of my husband's face peeking around the doorway at me, his right hand gripping the doorway. I smiled to myself, thinking that the jerk woke up early and was trying to scare the hell out of me for watching my ghost show. Then I decided that I would turn the tables on him. The whole thing took only a matter of seconds, but felt like forever. 
Moments after making the decision to scare him instead, I quickly turned towards the doorway to shout boo. Mind you, I could still see him right before I turned my head. The smile on my face faded and I never got to say boo. There was absolutely no one at the doorway. A split second later, I heard my husband snoring away. It was a sound that told me he was deep in sleep and it was next to impossible for him to fake since he suffered from sleep apnea at the time. A shiver ran up my spine and through that, not only had I seen our invisible housemate, but he was staring at me the whole time. We suspected it to have been my husband's deceased father because neither of us felt threatened by it in any way. It had more of a protective feel about it, especially towards me. Anytime my husband and I had a fight and he was in the wrong, odd things would just happen to him. I had surmised that his father was checking up on us and couldn't resist a bit of fun at my expense. Out loud, I told him that we had been fully aware he was around and we didn't mind it one bit. I, however, did have an issue with being stared at. I didn't mind that he was there, but he was to never, under any circumstances, stare at me since it made me uncomfortable. From that point on, he was polite as could be in regards to our privacy. We'd feel him in the room, but it felt like he was more curious about what we were doing or watching. Once he even let us know when it was time for bed since we stayed up too late. We had a lamp that turned on and off with a touch. It had never malfunctioned before this night or after. The bulb was one of those that went from dim to bright to brightest, then off. So in order for the lamp to get to the brightest setting, it had to cycle through the first two. It didn't do that. It went from off to the brightest setting instantly. My husband and I looked at the lamp, looked at each other, and then back at the lamp. It then turned itself off. I repeat, it had never done this before and didn't do a repeat performance. We checked the lamp and it went through its usual light cycles, checked the wiring and found nothing loose. We figured his dad got tired of hearing us say we're going to head to bed but continue to watch TV instead. He wasn't the only one in that house. There was something in the basement as well. Not sure what it was, but it was dark and menacing. I was so glad that our washer and dryer were at the very bottom of the steps. Because it didn't matter how many lights were on down there, a light wouldn't have been bright enough to light up the corners of this basement. Doing laundry was hell. I ran up those steps as fast as I could, baskets in hand, trying to keep from tripping myself. I always felt something watching me, slowly creeping closer until it was practically breathing down my neck. It was one of the happiest days of my life when we moved. Casey, could you please play Lights from Journey? It would mean... <laughs> that's nice. Well, that's all I have for now. <laughs> for some reason, I felt like it was going to a long-distance dedication. Well, that's all I have for now. I still have some stories to share, and we'll get those uh, in due time. Until then, I'm enjoying one hell of a podcast and for being an EPP. Keep up the great work. Love you, too. Shell. Shell, here's your long-distance dedication. You do a pretty good Casey Kasem. And now, on with the countdown. Number 40! That's nice. So, the way she tries to explain away things, not so much the things that happen in the story here, but, you know, trying to look for the logic. We've learned something in the past few days from some of our callers that mm-hmm. we didn't know was possible. You know what I'm talking about? What? Siri. Oh, yeah, we did, didn't we? Yeah, so I thought we'd just share with everybody what we learned. So you can uh, summon Siri without pressing the button, apparently. But it's very specific. So those of you who've had Siri experiences that you thought were somewhat paranormal, uh, identify what version you have first, because it still may be paranormal. Right. And I don't know which version. I believe it's the latest update, the four point whatever I'm procrastinating to update my phone to. Okay. Uh, So I believe the last major update is what it is. But the thing is, your phone has to be plugged in charging when... For it to work? Yes. For you to be able to summon Suri without pressing the button. So you say, hey, Suri, Mm -hmm. and then it... It answers. Okay, so I'm guessing that's their way to try and combat the new Amazon product. Probably so. That you can just speak out loud and then it does its thing, just like Surrey would. Yes, but what they're finding is anytime people say something that sounds like, hey, Siri, mm-hmm. 
you know, it, like if you say Missouri, oh, it's popping up, and that's why. Okay. Some of our listeners are saying that it's catching that. Okay. And popping up when they're listening. Well, that's interesting. But the thing is with it. Mm-hmm. So we've answered that it can be summoned without pressing the button. Yes. If you have the latest update, the last major update anyway, and the phone is plugged in. Right. Those are the two key components for that to happen. Without that, it ain't going to happen. Right. Um, what's been interesting about a lot of the stories we've gotten with Suri seemingly responding to things its responses have been somewhat in the context of what's been going on around them. You know, it's been like answering a question or stating a question. Uh-huh. So, that's the weird thing to me. About, like, if you just say, hey, Suri, I can see it being woken up and summoning and saying something regular, like, you know, what can I help you with or whatever the hell Suri says. But some of the things that Suri has been stating with some of these stories have not been it popping up and turning on. Okay. It's been literally giving responses or sharing something within the context of whatever is going on with the individuals who have shared some of those stories. Okay. Get what I'm saying? I do. I was just thinking maybe if Siri was activated without them knowing. And then it was picking up on words and then. In the conversation. I see what you're saying. Well, yeah, I mean, that could very well happen too. But. Anyone who's had the, the Surrey experiences, check those two things off your list to make sure that they were not occurring. Latest update, or, or last major update, and plugged in. Yeah. One of those is not there, you got something paranormal. If it's plugged in, yeah, you may have a reason for why it was doing it. And I'm glad our listeners let us know, because there's no way I would have figured that out. Yeah, I don't want to, like, debunk a, a ghost story or anything, but if, you know, we just want to look at all the possibilities. <laughs> I, I appreciate it, so I don't freak myself out now. Yeah. That would happen. Now I, don't re- now I really don't want to update. <laughs> it's it's going to start doing that then to me. I know, and it's, like, right next to me in bed all the time, so... Yeah, I mean, I'm going to stay with the current version I am. Well, that wraps up today's episode of Real Ghost Stories Online. If you want more ghost stories, become an EPP, extra podcast person. Get those 20 episodes sent directly to you. Brand new episode coming out on Saturday. So uh, sign up for that now, and you won't miss out on uh, getting that. Sign up on the website, realghoststoriesonline.com. Supports the show, keeps us on the air, and you get the bonus stuff. So thank you in advance for doing just that, and thank you if you've already done so. We really appreciate our EPPs. Until next time, for Jenny Bruski, I'm Tony Bruski. Thanks for listening to Real Ghost Stories Online. Keep your feet on the ground and keep reaching for the stars. <laughs>